right, so I'm going to ask a question here. How many of you had Olympic dreams, wanted to be in the Olympics? Anyone? Come on, be honest. I'm not the only one. Yeah, come on. Now, when I was younger, before I knew my physical limitations, you know, I always thought, like, you know, I would want to be, like, you know, a sprinter or something like that. And, or, you know, you see the basketball team or something. As I got a little bit older, I realized um, that God had not gifted me with that. So I tried to find that one, you know, that one event that perhaps no one else was doing and that I might be good at. Um, but, you know, I don't think they, they, they make events that are just specially for me. But we're thinking about the Olympics again because, you know, they're supposed to be in 2020, but now it's 2021, and uh, supposedly we're going to have the Olympics this year. Well, Olympics, uh, they mean something to us because of what they represent. They represent people, you know, devoting so much of their lives, and especially those of us who are a little bit older. We remember when it was not a big business. It wasn't, um, it was just, you know, people just working hard and um, doing what they could to achieve their goals. And, you know, if, if you came to my house and, and I had up, you know, up on a shelf or on a mantelpiece a, a gold medal from the Olympics, you might uh, go, wow, you know, what event? How did, you know, I would be honest, I would say, you know, I didn't really do it. Somebody just gave it to me. And I'm pretty sure you'd be like, oh, so why do you have it up on your shelf giving off the idea that, you know, you won this thing? And you would immediately know what I think most of us know, that, you know, these medals, they're not just given, uh, that they're earned. And that you can't really appreciate the medal no matter how much you might you know, you might think it's nice or what it looks like, unless you've earned it. Today we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about joy that we found, we find in the book of Nehemiah. But what we're going to find is that this is a joy. This was a joy that was earned. You see, what we want to do is we want to, we want to rush straight to joy. You know, people hear about, you know, whatever it is, whether it's what it means to be a Christian or whether they're hearing about, um, you know, the latest, you know, five steps to happiness. We, we want the quickest possible path to joy. Because we, we have this mistaken belief that we think, that we think joy is really just a mindset. I just, just got to change my mind. Or, or maybe we think uh, joy is something that something else gives us. You know, it's a, a feeling that we can sometimes, we somehow get if, um, you know, if, if we just change our situation or, or the, the people around us. And I'm not going to say that joy is not affected by those things. But what we're going to see today is that joy is something that came through a process. You know, I spoke at the Senior Adult Conference the first night, and we were 
I would, my, you know, my talk was about you know, the Apostle Paul and the secret he found to contentment and joy. And if you remember, he's writing this in the book of Philippians and, and he's writing, he's imprisoned and he's been imprisoned for maybe three or four years. And he's facing the death penalty and yet he's full of joy and he's rejoicing. Paul understood joy, but, but if those of you who know Paul's story know that Paul didn't just rush to joy. Paul's joy came from being able to say, I can be content in all situations, and you know why I know that? It's not a theory, it's not a feeling in my heart. Here's why I know I can be content in all situations, because I've been in all situations. I've been imprisoned. I've been beaten. I've been stoned to, de to death and left for dead. I've had my friends and my family abandon me. I've been to places where I've had a victory and, and I've seen, you know, the church that I've helped start just explode and grow. And I've been to other places where those people just can't stop fighting. I've been in every situation. And what's there in every situation is contentment. It's joy. Paul knew this. Yeah, there's a sense that joy is given to us. And we'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But we also have to understand that God doesn't just give joy to us, but he forms joy in us. Perhaps we could even use the word forges it. Comes through, it comes through this process process that includes faith in God, that includes obedience, that includes trust. That we can know from experience, or if we haven't experienced it yet, we can know with confidence that in our darkest hour, in our deepest pain, joy is there because God is there. So here we come to this story and we're almost near the end of Nehemiah and we're actually covering two chapters but don't worry, we're, we're just gonna hit some highlights here. But the Jewish people, they've reestablished the covenant and they're taking the next steps to becoming a nation. If you think about all the things that have taken place you know, since just Nehemiah, not even going back to the first part of the book, which is Ezra, and seeing everything that's transpired. And with Nehemiah, a lot of this has transpired in, in really, in just a quick turnaround, a year or less. They now have, a, they have this, they have this wall rebuilt, they've already had the temple, they're they're organizing, they secured the city, and now they're taking this next step of populating the city. 
And all through this, we, we've seen this process that keeps cycling through. And, and we need to understand it because this is what they went through to get to joy. Joy wasn't, again, just something like, oh, let's just have joy. No, they, they went through these steps. You know, there's this listening to God. And Nehemiah himself doesn't just listen to God. He also has to obey God in a risky situation. He has to obey sacrificially. It's not a safe obedience that Nehemiah is faced with. It's not like, here, you know, take some baby steps, Nehemiah. It's like, no, Nehemiah, you are like, like the second most important person in the Persian Empire, and I'm asking you to go risk all of that, even risk your life, and be willing to give it up so that I might accomplish my purposes in you. And he does it. But Nehemiah doesn't just show up. He, he, he does what we see throughout the, the book of Nehemiah. He brings together the faithful and he leads them. It's not just him. He brings them together and they obey God together. He faces resistance. He faces resistance from his own people. This is one of the things that, you know, I don't think we talk enough when I went to seminary that we, that we teach enough in seminary. I think a lot is taught about, okay, you go and you're gonna be, you're gonna be pastor of a church. Great, you're gonna be pastor of a church. You're gonna have people that, you know, that the body of Christ. But what's not talked about enough and what a lot of young pastors unfortunately walk into totally unprepared is, what happens when those people who are your brothers and sisters, they don't agree with you? They don't want to come together. How do you fix that? Nehemiah does it. He brings them together. And through it all, they resist compromising they will not compromise God's word, God's truth, the covenant in the name of progress or the name of safety or the name of common sense. And it happens, this obedience, this looking into God's word, repentance, worship, again and again and again. And it's through that process that they find joy it's through that process that they celebrate. Nehemiah 11, first couple of verses, says this. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. For us, it's kind of a weird situation. Like, you know, why do they got to get people to move into the city? Well, again, some things that we um, don't understand is in this time, the city was, was, was more of a place of, you know, for defense. The people preferred to live outside the cities. Um, out there, you know, they, you know, a lot of them are subsistence farmers or, 
raising livestock. And where are you going to do that in the city? You know, we shouldn't get in our minds that they commuted, you know, um, that there's a bumper to bumper traffic at the dung gate in Jerusalem. No, they, they were, they were living outside and they, they, they were, there was villages out there. Their land was there. They could oversee things that were happening. And especially the city that had been pretty much broken down for over a hundred years. And so they have to cast lots. So the leaders lead by example. The leaders just go, okay, we're going to move into the city. But to populate the rest of the city, they're going to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem. The point I want us to look at here in verse 2 because I think it's an important point for us to really have joy. And that is, it says, the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. There were some that were cast lots and they, they went not by choice. But there were others. There were others who willingly went. Willingly went. Willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. They were willing to do what others didn't want to do. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to change their, their, their lifestyle. One of these keys to joy is when we recognize the sacrifice of others. Think about that. If we're not recognizing the sacrifice of others, if we're not recognizing what other people are doing on our behalf then it's easy for us to start complaining. It's easy for us to start thinking about what, you know, how things are affecting me and what I don't, what I don't have and, and my needs not being met. But when my eyes are on other people, when my eyes are, are looking at, at, at other people and, and what, they're, what they're doing, how they're serving, and how they're willing to sacrifice... I don't know how this would be back in the, you know, back in the uh, 80s, but you know, back in the 80s, the best night for television, if you liked situation comedies, was Thursday night. Our worship team, if they were back in the 80s, and some of us were probably, you know, teenagers or college students back in the 80s, but if they were, they would be sacrificing Thursday night. We have a worship team and our media team that nobody saw them for the, during the pandemic. Especially our media team behind the scenes working. And, you know, it would have been easy to, to like complain and say like, oh, you know, I can't hear or the sound's not right or, you know, or whatever. You know, the you know, worship's just, just not, you know, what I what I think it should be. But if we were thinking about these people, especially in the early days of the pandemic when we had no idea how, how dangerous or how you know, risky this situation was, and, and these people of all ages, it's what I love about our, our church and I love about our worship team is it's not just one age. But of all ages, we're coming and serving every single week. You guys see the pews you're sitting on? 
They didn't look like this before the pandemic. They had a different cover on them. But we had a group at least once, sometimes twice a week, going through, going through here and reupholstering all these things. You know, I've talked to you guys about, you know, the people's belief in, you know, people's belief in church and magic bunnies. That there are magic bunnies that make everything in the church happen. You know, they come here and the air conditioning's on. They come here and the lights are on. Every month the bills get paid. And it's all these wonderful magic bunnies that do this work for us. It's like, no. It's people giving their time, their talent, their efforts. It brings us joy. It brings us joy not because we feel guilty. It brings us joy because there are other people in this world who care about us and want to serve. It brings us joy because if we're serving, we know we're not out there just trying to do it all on our own. That there's so many other people who've come together and we're able to do what we do because we do it together. But when I only got my eyes on myself, when I only got my eyes on what I'm doing, it makes it hard. I was at a church, and that's exactly what would happen. At this church, a church was smaller than our church, and it was struggling. And what would happen is people would come in, and somebody would come in, and, and sometimes it would happen simultaneously, but somebody would come in, or a couple would come in and say, you know what this church needs? This church needs to fix its nursery, because if its nursery is fixed, then when families come, they'll say, and these people would invest all their time, they repaint, clean, new furniture in the nursery, everything. Meantime, somebody else is saying, you know what this church needs? This church looks terrible. The, the, the grass is all dead. The paint's all peeling. This church needs to, to you know, get the yard looking nice, landscape, clean everything up. Landscape person is over here working all the time. Nursery people over here working all the time, never talking to each other. And eventually what happens? Landscape person goes, nobody cares about the church. Nursery people go, nobody cares about the church. What do they mean? I mean, nobody cares the way I care. Nobody sees this thing as the most important thing. And eventually the people would leave. There was no joy in serving. There's great joy in serving. You know one of the happiest to joyous times for me, and it happened like about a month ago, I was home. I was getting ready to come here to help do the next step homeless shelter and you know prep the meals and the guy needed to talk to me and we started talking you know what was joyous for me was that I could talk to that guy at my house knowing that my brothers and sisters were here taking care of the homeless I didn't have to feel like oh man 
you know, I got to be there. I didn't have to feel like, well, if I'm not there, they're all going to be judging me. Where's pastor? You know, probably hanging out in his office, watching sports, you know, probably out there golfing again. No. I, I know it's taken care of. You know, just talking about the worship, you know, before the pandemic, you know, my wife was the one organizing everything. And then I don't know that she did this for this reason, but she taught me a lesson. She decided to go teach last year at Kalani, which meant, you know, I had to help organize the worship more. And I already knew that what she was doing, and I trusted what she did, but then I had to do it myself for a little while. And it's like, this is hard. It takes time. I could no longer just think it's being taken care of. And so we don't serve to be recognized. But we should recognize one another. This is one of Paul's like, biggest compliments he can give people. If you look at some of his letters, like in Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, at the very beginning, he will, he will say this. He will say, your faith is known. People know you. Paul's saying, I travel all over the empire. People have heard about your faithfulness. They've seen how you serve. They've heard about your generosity and you're encouraging one another. In fact, when I... I did the sermon series a couple years ago on what a healthy church is. We were going through Romans chapter 12, and in verse 10, Paul says, outdo one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, recognize what other people are doing. And if you want to compete, you know, if you want to have a competition in the church, okay, outdo do one another in showing honor. And it's hard because if a church is healthy and a church is people just serving, you know, humble people don't talk about their humility. Have you ever had a truly humble person talk about how humble they are? No, because immediately you go, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 24 through 30, Paul uses this whole section of scripture to talk about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Those of you thinking of, you know, going to have a kid and you want to name the kid, Epaphroditus. Go read about Epaphroditus. Your kid may hate you, but it's a great role model. Paul brags about him for about six or seven verses takes this section out of this letter in, in the word of God. We know Epaphroditus because Paul honored him. We want joy. We want to know joy. Well, we need to recognize what others are doing, the sacrifice and the service of others. Who do we take for granted? Who goes unnoticed? Who goes underappreciated? By the way, you don't have to just go up to them and like appreciate you. It's not a bad thing. But you don't have to. 
Just appreciate them. It'll show up. Sometimes it's just a card, text, email, hey, thanks. We have a growing team of people helping with our children's ministry. The problem is we're not going to see them as much. Think about them. Pray for them. Every once in a while, acknowledge what they're doing. There's this this next section, and it starts in verse 27. And I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to focus on one section. But if you go back, if you go up into 27, Nehemiah actually organizes the celebration. They're going to celebrate they're going to celebrate now the city is being populated and they're really finishing this, you know, this establishing this nation. And he even sets up like there's going to be these choirs and the, the leaders are going to be divided up and they're going to be in different sections of the city. And then in verse 43, he says, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Think about that. They're not in a building, they're in the city. And we know from Nehemiah there's about 40 to 50,000 people. Not everybody's been on board with what Nehemiah is doing, but you can still guarantee there's tens of thousands of people living, I mean, gathered here. They come together, they sacrifice, they rejoice, and they're all rejoicing. And I love that phrase. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I sometimes think about that. You know what I would love to have someday? I would love to have our neighbors file a complaint with the city because they say, Every Sunday morning, those people at Wildlife Baptist Church are singing so loud that I cannot hear the NFL football game. I have to put on headphones. It's funny because we think like, well, of course they can't hear us. There's walls. We hear motorcycles going by. Why can't anyone hear us outside these walls? The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. When joy is earned, when joy comes through this process, it can't be controlled. Because we're celebrating And we're celebrating what God has accomplished through us and what he's accomplished for us. That's what they knew. They they could see. And they could see that it wasn't because they were awesome. Remember, a couple chapters ago, they were going through all their own sins. Their, Their sins from the past that they could trace back for centuries. And then their current sins. 
And they were going through it all and they were saying, yet God still keeps the covenant with us. He still loves us. He still restores us. Every other country that goes into exile, they just disappear. He brought us back. And here we are in the promised land again, in the holy city, worshiping. Joy should be the natural results of serving God because as we serve God, we, we see God working through us and we, we see the effects of what happens when we work together. You see, this celebration, it reveals, it reveals who we are. It was revealing here. These are people that aren't just saying the covenant's a good idea. That's a really nice document there, Nehemiah. You know, maybe we should check in on it once in a while. No. These are people who are just overwhelmed with gratitude for God. Reveals who we are. Now you might go, well, I'm, I have joy. I just don't like to show it. Okay, not saying you have to show joy all the same way. But can you at least clue the rest of us in on how you're showing joy? Maybe we could have a little book and say, you know, one person shows joy by moving that left eyebrow a little bit higher. I don't know. But make no mistake, joy will be shown. It will be expressed. Celebration also gives credit to God. The celebration is taking place with sacrifice and worship. And they're, they're, they're acknowledging that this is because of God. It's not because we're so great, we're so talented, we're so intelligent, we're so rich. No. It's, again, turning this back to God. But celebration also reminds us of how hard it has been. That's one of the problems we have with joy. The reason we cannot have joy is because we want to forget all of our past sins. We want to forget all of our past mistakes. I talked about this, you know, I think on Wednesday night. Maybe last, you know, a couple Sundays ago. But have you ever been to a church celebrating its anniversary that didn't just tell you all the good things that's happened over the past 50, 60, 70 years? Is it in the collective memory of the church the mistakes that we've made? Where we got wrong and God had to bring us back? We don't like that. We just want to talk about all the good, positive, forward-moving things. The Israelites, they remember it all. They not only remember the faithfulness of God, the provision of God, they also remember their disobedience, their rebellion, God's judgment. They remember it all. Celebration reminds us it's not supposed to be easy. 
And when we have this joy in our celebration, this joy, it, it seals, it seals for us that it was all worth it. It was all worth it. We can all do difficult things. We can all face difficult times. But, but when, we, when we're facing them and we don't think it's worth it, we, we, we just want to give up. But it's amazing. When we think things are worth it, we will keep doing it. We will keep trying. And we will try it with faith. And we will try it with joy. Even though we know we may not personally experience the success. That's Paul. Paul doesn't know he's going to get out of prison. Paul may be executed. Doesn't matter. He goes, you know what? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And guess what? There's a lot of other people out there now who are evangelizing. So I'm good. God, yeah. Prefer not to be in prison. But while I'm here, going to be happy. Going to have joy. If I go out, going to have joy there too. Because Paul always believes it's worth it. He says repeatedly in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. But we have to understand it doesn't come easy. On, on Wednesday night we did a deeper study of, of, of what the Bible or the New Testament in particular talk, talks about joy. And it talks about how there is no joy without repentance. In James chapter 4, it's exactly what he says. In the, in the parable of the sower, you, you cannot have joy unless the word takes root in our lives. If you have a thin joy, it's because you have a thin understanding of God's word. It hasn't taken root. Paul writes this, he says, in 2 Corinthians, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Such a weird combination. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Again, most of us don't think those two things should go together. And Paul is like saying, look at these guys. They're awesome. And part of our witness is our joy. Not a fake joy, not a put on mask of, of happiness. But it's true joy. Finding joy in the work of Christ as John the Baptist said in, in John chapter 3, he said, I want my joy to be complete. It's now going to be complete. And he says, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. Paul, um, John didn't just mean that in a, in a like figurative, spiritual way. He meant it in, in like real, 
world, life things. The influence of John's ministry was going to go down. The increase in Jesus' ministry was going to rise. There's joy there. The joy isn't in making a bigger name for yourself or a bigger name for ourselves. The joy I have as pastor, the joy I have as a Christian, and I hope it's the joy we have as a church, is that Jesus is increasing and we are decreasing. That Jesus is more and more abundant and apparent in our lives and in our church. And it's less about you and me and even us. Joy is our witness. This last point, just quickly, in verses 44 through 47, it goes back to this thing that keeps happening in Nehemiah. There keeps being this like organization and here's how things are going to be organized and and this is what's going to happen to make sure these things happen. And this, one of the things we kind of want to leave behind, we think joy should just be spontaneous. We think joy should just be like, oh yeah, okay, we have this moment, we celebrate great. Yeah, there's great moments of spontaneous joy. But to be a joyful community, a joyful community that continues, it takes leaders who are organizing and preparing. And that's what we see in this, this section The leaders are leading, the ministers are ministering, the worshipers are worshiping. It's God's people working together. You see, when we have no plan, when we have no plan, and there's no organization, there's too much uncertainty, we can't really have joy because how long is it going to last? It can all fall apart tomorrow. But then you have the other problem, too much planning. Too much planning restricts everything, doesn't allow for the work of God. There's no joy there either. It's not a question of plan, don't plan. But it is a, this following you know, God's direction and God's plan. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's interesting. You know, you could read this and you could think this means like, hey, church members, no groaning. Just follow the leaders with joy. But you could also understand this to say, to mean this. Let them do this with joy. Let them lead with joy. That they also have joy in serving. That they already have a burden and a responsibility to help the people to grow in their faith and to be equipped and to minister to one another. They already have that responsibility. Help make it a joyous one. What advantage is it to you 
to have leaders that just dread coming in. The joke we used to make at school every summer and at the beginning of the school year before the students showed up is, this is a great job when the students aren't here. But really, if you have leaders who just dread, you know, anything, just doing, you know, showing up every Sunday, what advantage is it to you? It's no advantage. That's what Hebrews is saying. We've seen the joyful Christian. The most miserable Christians are the ones who do not understand or, or who do not want to live according to God's word. And especially when they're surrounded by others who do. You see, when we're surrounded in a healthy church with other people who are living by God's word and they're having joy, then in comparison, that other person's happiness and it just doesn't, doesn't match up. And that, that miserable Christian is daily confronted with the ultimate excuse remover. They can say, I'm this way because, you know, how else could I be? But then they see others, others who may be in worse situations, others who's, who've experienced worse things, and they see that they have joy, and, and they don't. Takes away the excuse, and it just makes them feel more miserable. What should we do with people who feel like that? feel like they're the outsiders looking in, we extend grace to them. And we continue to. The steps to joy, repentance, faith, studying God's word, obedience, more repentance, more study, more faith. That's where joy comes. Is that old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey.